0: Heavenly Fathers, reflect together on what it means to live as your people in the world. We pray that you would uh, encourage us from this uh, true historical his- narrative uh, that we would enter the world of Daniel and his friends and see how they navigated that very tricky path of living for you in a foreign land. And may we in- ourselves be encouraged to do that in our lives today. To your glory. Amen. When I was a young boy, uh, it was Daniel who particularly captured my imagination. And we had uh, a Ladybird book, I don't know if you had those in Australia, they were little kiddies' books, and uh, it was dedicated just to the dramatic story of Daniel, and I loved reading it. Uh, his brave heroism in the lion's den made a marked impression on my young mind. Uh, we had a little family tradition every Sunday night, we would. Uh, go to the living room and my mum said we could choose a song from a record to play and we'd also share a can of Coke before the days of Coke Zero so it was uh, full of sugar Uh, but uh, one favourite song which we chose from the records was the song about Daniel and it went like this dare to be a Daniel dare to stand alone dare to have a purpose firm and dare to make it known there it was I wanted to be a Daniel, uh, I aspired to be a hero, and as I grew, uh, that childlike sentiment matured into a desire to be a person of significance in God's kingdom. I wanted my life to count for eternity, I wanted to live a life of impact for God. Now I know that many of you share these same goals and aspirations, and the question is how can we be that type of man or woman for God? How can we be a Daniel or a Daniela, if you like? And the life of Daniel is much to teach us. Now, if you're with us, last week, we saw that Daniel and his friends had been deported from their home Judah to a foreign land, Babylon. And last week, we noted this parallel, didn't we, between the situation... Of those exiled Israelites and Christians today. Uh, Both they and we are exiles in a foreign land and ultimately at this present world in its present state it's not our home. As Christians our true home of course is heaven and ultimately the new creation. Both they and we face the same challenge How do we live as exiles in the world without succumbing to being worldly? And this week, as we look more closely now at chapter 1, we're going to see how Daniel and his friends adapted to life in Babylon. And what will become apparent is that they had to tackle a very real and insidious peril. It was this, the danger of just blending in they could have easily lost their unique identity as God's people. There was this danger of blending in. Uh, You may be familiar with the classic book of the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It consists of letters from a senior devil uh, to a junior devil. And the idea is, of course, uh, to alert people to spiritual dangers that otherwise are easily overlooked. One of the dangers it addresses is the danger of living a normal life just like those around us who live without reference to God. It's the peril of blending in. In one chapter, Screw Tape, the senior devil, writes to his trainee junior devil, Wormwood, and says this, and I quote, Doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. However, it doesn't matter how small the sins are, providing that the cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. It's the gentle slope without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without Signposts. In our day, there is, of course, a steady flow of dramatic news about attacks on Christian churches and Christians as individuals throughout the world. Uh, Daniel and his friends will have their crisis moments of high drama too. In due course, they will have to choose between uh, denying God or uh, a ravaging lion or denying God, or a fiery furnace. However, the real danger for them, and for us, is far less dramatic, and it's much more subtle. It is this danger of just blending in. C.S. Lewis is right. According to the Bible, uh, this threat is absolutely deadly. So let's go back to the 6th century B.C., uh, to Daniel and his friends in Babylon, because this chapter has much practical wisdom. It teaches us how to avoid just blending in. And we're going to see four points in particular. Firstly, draw a line in the sand. Uh, secondly, start early. Be faithful in the little things. Thirdly, proceed graciously and wisely. And fourthly, re- remember, God honors those who honor Him. So firstly... The importance of drawing a line in the sand. Uh, Daniel and his friends are part of this uh, hand picked elite group. Uh, Verse 5 tells us that they are given imperial sponsorship to do a three year MBA Uh, that is, a master's in Babylonian administration. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is no fool, he knows that conquest is not enough. If he wants to rule a people, he needs to convert a people. He needs to convert them to Babylonian thinking. Uh, He knows he needs to win hearts and minds. So what does he do? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar selects the Israelites in the gifted and talented class. And he knows that if he can just re-educate them with his values, they can advise him or even represent him in his future dealings with Jerusalem. So that's what he does. Uh, he se- selects the youngest and the brightest. Uh, he selects the young ones because he knows they're not going to be too set in the religion of their forefathers. Now verse 4 says this, he selects young men without any physical defects, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. So these men are given a a new identity under the Babylonian captive resettlement program. Uh, Their Hebrew names are replaced by Babylonian names. They are also immersed in the literature and the language of the Babylonians. Now that's very significant. You see, these men are not just being taught a few Babylonian phrases from the Burlitz travel guide so they can get by. They are being indoctrinated, brainwashed, if you like. They are being reprogrammed with the Babylonian world view. Uh, You will, of course, be aware that behind all literature, behind all TV and all music, lies a world view. Uh, A world view is a way of looking at the world that assumes various things about uh, why we're here, uh, what's wrong with the world, and what will make it right again. Uh, A world view answers the questions, uh, what is supremely valuable in life? Everything that we read and hear and watch is communicating a worldview to us. I wonder if you've ever stopped to think, where do I get my values and my attitudes from? Now that is a question worth asking because so much of what we take for granted, we've actually just breathed in. Uh, We've picked it up without realizing it. It's a bit like passive smoking. Uh, It's been suggested that many people today get their values from soap operas. Heaven help us if that's the case. But I think it is true that it is true more widely in terms of the the media more widely. Because the media is very powerful in shaping our worldview. And one of the ways the media does that is by communicating what are called boundaries of normality. Uh, our co- culture is constantly feeding us its worldview of what are normal, acceptable attitudes and behaviours that people should hold. Uh, what are they in the secular Australian culture? Our culture tells us that if you hold religious views, then that's okay, but keep them to yourself. Don't talk about them, uh, don't bring them into the public space. Because if we do, then we may be castigated as bigots or being judgmental. And of course, none of us want to be thought of as abnormal. Uh, Particularly, we don't want to be thought of as being bigots or condemning or judgmental. And so, we naturally adapt the boundaries of those around us. Uh, None of us want to stick out, and so we tend to keep quiet. But for Daniel and his friends, there was something that made that temptation to breathe in these values around them even more intense. And it was this. The cost of taking a stand. You see, Daniel and his friends were the chosen few. Uh, all all, uh, All they had to do was to keep their heads down. And if they did what they were told, there was every chance... That they could do very well. The hopes of their families and the whole nation were resting on them. It's a pressure that we all feel at some time or other. We feel the cost of taking a stand. Uh, I worked at British Airways for two, ten years and in the second year of my time at BA uh, another crisis hit. It wasn't the COVID-19 crisis of course, it was the first Gulf War. Uh, that was 1992. As a result, uh, the aircrafts, em- aircraft's emptied, and there was suddenly a dramatic need for the company to reduce its cost base. Uh, so one of the things they did is each management team was tasked with reducing the headcount uh, in their section. And uh, the people who were particularly targeted and encouraged to go were the people who were older, uh, because they were being encouraged to retire early. Uh, many did that, and there was one person in my particular purchasing section called Vince, Uh, And he didn't want to go, and so he said, no, uh, I want to stay. Uh, And as a result, the management uh, isolated Vince. Uh, They sort of made him sit on his own, and certainly he was made to feel very uncomfortable. At the time, as a Christian, I felt, that's not right. And I sort of had this conviction, uh, maybe I should in some way stand with Vince and in some way express my solidarity with him. But I was two years into my time at BA, and I thought, maybe that will have an unhealthy influence on my career in BA. You don't want to get that reputation for being a bit of a troublemaker with the management. So you know what I did? I did nothing. I had these convictions, but I never actually acted on them. The cost of taking a stand was something which swayed me to staying quiet. If I had my time again, I hope very much that I'd make a different decision. I hope I'd have that conversation with Vince and say, it's not right the way you're being treated. How can I support you? How can I stand with you? So it's a pressure that we all feel, the cost associated with it. But the challenge is, how do we not just blend in? So, uh, what are Daniel and his friends going to do? Uh, They realize that if they're going to survive spiritually, they have to take a stand. They have to draw a line. They have to say, this, li- this far and no further. Uh, to verse 8, Daniel has been pretty passive up to that point. But then in verse 8 we read this. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Uh, What is going on here? Uh, Commentators held various views as to what the issue is. Now I don't think that it's to do with the kosher laws because the kosher laws have nothing to say about wine and yet he refuses both. I also think it seems unlikely that the issue is the food having been sacrificed to pagan gods because you see they wouldn't have just sacrificed and offered meat but also vegetables and yet Daniel has no problem adopting a vegetarian diet. What I actually think the issue is this, at seduction, Daniel sees this allotment of the royal food and wine as an effort to seduce him into the lifestyle of a Babylonian and to develop and strengthen his sense of obligation to the monarch. It's the allure of the high life And the enjoyment of pleasures he had never known before. And as Christ would later say, we cannot serve two masters. It was Daniel's loyalty to God that would ultimately be defiled. Isn't that still true today? At the lure of a comfortable life? Or the lure of the approval of others? Or the lure of a successful career and position? Uh, These are the things that can easily numb our senses and blunten our Christian commitment. So you see what Daniel's saying. He's saying, look, okay, uh, I'll take the education. I'll even take this name change. But at the end of the day, you don't own me. I belong to somebody else. I am loyal to somebody else and I need to make that clear. So uh, the first piece of practical wisdom we've seen is he draws a line in the the sand. He decides where to take a stand. The second thing we see is the encouragement to start early and to be faithful in little things, in little issues. It's interesting, isn't it, that the issue on which Daniel takes a stand occurs right back here in chapter 1. You see, it would have been much easier for Daniel if the issue had been more in your face. Um, a bigger issue like in chapter 3. In chapter 3, of course, they're going to be told, if you're going to work here, you've all got to bow down to the golden statue. Now, it's easy to see that that's a clear presenting issue for any follower of God. Uh, the warning lights would be flashing in being in breach of the Ten Commandments. You see, in that situation, Daniel would have known exactly what to do. But back here in chapter 1, it's not quite so clear cut. Back here in chapter 1, the issue is a lot more subtle and grey. Where to draw the line is not clear. And it requires careful thinking. Perhaps we ourselves have had that thought. I'd love to have an influence for God in that situation. But realistically, it's going to be a great deal easier if I just maybe advance myself a little bit first. If I get further up in the organization. Or if I can get more established in that friendship group. Then, once I've done that, maybe it's better to nail my colors to the mask. But you see, that is dangerous thinking. Because it gets harder not easier to take a stand for Jesus, the more we have to lose. I was involved in one organization which my kids are involved in, and in the early days um, I was speaking to one of the leaders, and he was, um, surprisingly, he took me back at the time, I was very shocked, he's quite disparaging uh, and derisory of another in the leadership team. And I thought, oh, that's very inappropriate. Uh, This guy was a leader of the leaders, but he was very disparaging. And so I thought, maybe I should say something. Maybe I should challenge him on that. But I thought at the time, well, it's early days. I hardly know the guy. Probably best just to wait till I've got a bit more of a basis of a relationship with him before I speak into these sorts of situations. Yeah. In retrospect, I think, no, the challenge is, start early, be faithful, In little things. Don't put it off. As Christians, maybe we dream of one day being a Daniel or a Daniela and we picture ourselves as taking this valiant stand and being prepared to be thrown to the lions rather than disobeying God. But I wonder if we thought about how we become a Daniel or a Daniela. And the answer is, we start early. We are faithful in the little things. Uh, present spiritual heroism is rooted in past faithfulness. Uh, the, the events of chapter 1 in Daniel are probably 65 years before the lion's den episode. And the way to grow into the type of people who are that radical and faithful to God is to start being faithful to God in the little things, in the present. So you see, if we're starting a new job, or we're getting involved in a new group of people, praying for a chance to be as public about our faith as possible is wise. So, firstly, draw a line in the sand. Secondly, start early, be faithful in little things. Thirdly, proceed graciously and wisely. Uh, as far as the story in chapter one is concerned, it would make sense if we jumped straight from the end of verse eight, which says, uh, "And he asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself," uh, straight to verse 16." Uh, so, uh, verse 16, the guards took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. But in between verses eight and 16 is this whole section on how Daniel skillfully negotiates the situation. Uh, initially the prospect for success doesn't look particularly rosy. In verse 10 the chief official is actually afraid for his own life. If he danced granule his request, then effectively this official is going against the instructions of the king. Because it is the king that has stated what the diet of these people should be. But Daniel has this idea then that he approaches someone else. He approaches the guard. And he comes up with this proposal of a 10-day trial. It's a way of gently helping his seniors to get on board with his proposal without them taking the risk on themselves. You see, faithfulness, when it is not over a clear issue, that means not necessarily being awkward or obstructive. Uh, There is wisdom in proceeding graciously, prayerfully, and wisely. There was a true story of a Christian executive uh, whose company were about to do a deal with another company. However, he was convinced that this company's product was detrimental to society. And so he did everything he could to oppose the deal at board level. He was himself a member of the board. However, in the end, uh, he lost the vote. For the other board members, the deal was just too good to refuse. So what should he now do? Well, he could do nothing and just toe the line. Or he could just quit the firm and separate himself from these terrible unworldly people. Uh, But what he actually did was incredibly wise, it was firm, and it was gracious. Uh, Firstly, he told the board that since as a board they had voted for this, uh, he himself would work as hard as any of them to secure the deal. But he said that once the deal had been made, he himself wanted no personal gain from it he would take no share in any bonuses that they would subsequently divide up as a result of landing the deal. What do you think his colleagues thought of him? Uh, That he's just like them? No. Uh, That he's awkward and judgmental? No. Uh, That he's mad? Maybe. But it does mean that the next time something like this comes up, they are going to listen to him in a different way. And it did in fact produce various opportunities for him to speak with people about his faith. So you see, yes, we are to draw lines, but we are to proceed wisely. It is in some ways unproductive to be unnecessarily obstructive or awkward. So this passage has provided great practical wisdom about how to avoid the danger danger of blending in. But the chapter doesn't end there. Because the chapter ends with a wonderful encouragement for us to do that. For what we see at the end of the chapter is this. God honours those who honour Him. Look at verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. and The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Think about where the chapter started. They were young people taken from their home. But the chapter ends with them being equipped by God, raised up and honoured by him. The king himself acknowledges their God-given wisdom. But how do they get from A to B? The Lord enables them to stay faithful. And he honours them in due course. Uh, Is it possible today to get on in your career or to advance in your social circles if you are consistently faithful to Jesus? Well, the answer from this passage is, uh, yes, it is possible. But it's not guaranteed in this life. If we keep reading in Daniel, uh, faithfulness also leads Daniel into a lion's den. And if we keep reading in Daniel, faithfulness also leads his friends into a fiery furnace. Faithfulness is never a guarantee of worldly success. But this pattern that we see of God honoring those who honor him is always true, ultimately. As always in the Bible, uh, this chapter points us beyond itself to the hero of the whole Bible. He is the one who didn't just find himself immersed in a hostile world. He is the one who willingly chose to enter it for us. And it points us to the one who was always perfectly faithful to God. He didn't defile himself, despite being under incredible pressure to do so. He was the one who was faithful to God the Father Even when standing before a foreign ruler who had the power of life and death over him, that is Pilate. And as he died, Jesus paid for all those times when we have failed to be faithful. Jesus died for all those times when we have chosen to blend in. Jesus has bought our forgiveness. And because Jesus was raised up to life again and was honoured by God, our ultimate lifting up and honouring is secure. It will absolutely guaranteed be a done deal. Uh, God may not raise us up and honour us in this world, but he definitely will lift us up and honour us in the next So, even though this is chapter 1 and its early days, we are told right at the beginning how the story is going to end. Verse 21. And Daniel remains there until the first year of King Cyrus. Cyrus, if we know anything about history, is a Persian king. And eventually, Cyrus will invade this great Babylonian kingdom. And Babylon will fall with a thud but God's servant Daniel is still going to be standing. It's a little picture that reminds us that because of Jesus you and I will outlast the kingdoms of this age. Everything out there looks so permanent but we know that ultimately earthly kingdoms will fail and fall. And it is in the end, God's people who will endure. And it is God's people who will be honored by him. So what will empower us to dare to be a Daniel? It's the perspective that comes from knowing that our ultimate future is secure and glorious. And it will strengthen us to avoid the real spiritual danger of blending in. And it will fortify us to stand faithfully For Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the challenging, true story of Daniel. Uh, Thank you for the courage you gave him to stand firm, to not just blend in, uh, to dare to be a Daniel. We pray that we ourselves would also. Have that same courage. Help us not to acquiesce to fear at the cost of taking a stand for you. Do not acquiesce to the fear of being ridiculed by others for our Christian faith. Help us to live courageous lives which step out, knowing that ultimately our future is gloriously secure. That one day you will honour us. On that final day when we stand before us, you will say, if we live faithfully for you now, well done, good and faithful servant. May that be sufficient to empower us in the present to continue living for you, we pray. Amen.